The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Welcome. All right. Well, I'm, I'm trying to cheer you up because our topic is death. So, yay. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 18. I also thought as for men, God tests them so that they may see that they're like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust. To dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth so I saw there's nothing after nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that's his lot, for who can bring to him to see what happens after him. Go to chapter 6, verse 12. For who knows what is good for a man in life during the few and meaningless days he passes through like a shadow? Who can tell him what happens after he's gone? Uh, Solomon is not a very upbeat sort of guy, is he? Uh, you know, this is a, um, uh, it's not getting better as he's going through this book. As you know, we're in a 10-week conversation regarding the book of Ecclesiastes. And so now he's, he's kind of hitting the, the pinnacle or the bottom of his despair. And I, as a matter of fact, this is, it's coloring everything about him. Everything. So I, I build parks, I build gardens, I have fountains, I have musicians, I build buildings, I do all these wonderful great things. I'm eating great food, I, great, I wear great clothes from Barney's and, and, uh, I was trying to think of a Jewish way of saying Barney. Nothing came out. And I thought, it's not going to be funny. So I just said Barney's. And it's all meaningless. And I think everything that's coloring up where he's writing at this time in his life is that he's dying. He's at the winter, the fall, winter, end of his life trajectory, the road that he's traveling. And so what was it all worth? See, sometimes if you're younger, most of you, you know, when I was in my 20s, has it been two years already? So, uh, so um, that, uh, you know, well, actually, isn't there nothing more exhilarating about a near-death experience than not dying? <laughs> it's like, that next breath is so sweet, you know, your, your burgers taste better, the Coke is sweeter. I mean, it's just like, oh, life is good, you know, and I made it. any rate. But he goes on to say, back to this text for just a moment, is that, uh, you know, uh, he's pointing out something that's actually the, the, the trajectory everybody will be on. If you don't have a meaning, meaningful life, if all that you think about and process is right here in the disconnect from God, you will devalue life. You don't enjoy life, you devalue life. You devalue yourself as a human being. You devalue humanity. And so he goes on to say, look, uh, uh, it's better off if you never even lived. The dead are better off than the living because they don't even know that they don't know because they don't know. And then it speaks about babies that are stillborn. You know, they're even better because they didn't have to experience anything. He points out to those of us who are actually alive and conscious is that we're cursed. Because not only do we have to live life, but we have to live life knowing that we will end, that we die. And and as I pointed out before, if, if you think all there is to life is just this life, then you end up devaluing life and devaluing yourself. Nothing really matters. People don't matter. You don't really matter. Because there's something about us that needs to know why. You, we, we, we just have to have a reference point outside of here. And it, it, if, if we're disconnected from God, we don't have that reference point. 
you might be a person that says, well, I mean, my life is full. I, I, I don't have to buy into this Jesus thing to feel like I have a full and meaningful life. Okay, awesome. I get you. If you're happy and life's working for you, we're still friends. We probably have nothing to offer you. I mean, you, you want to share your life with us, we'll share our life with you. But I understand that if you think you're full and you have a full life, I'm not sure what Jesus brings to the table for you. But before you send me an angry email, if your life is working and you're happy, I don't know what Jesus will bring to you because you assume that you're full of life without him. Now, I'm going to suggest that you're not. But if you're under that assumption, then okay, go nuts. Enjoy your life. I pointed out that there's something sort of exhilarating about those near-death experiences because, you know, you don't die. And you could tell the story about it later, like, dude, you know, you're that guy, right? And I remember I, when I was dating Lilia that um, I had a, a 240Z. Uh, it was, it was uh, British green, like, who likes Britain? So as I you know, painted it silver with a black interior, and um, it had a special rims on it. I lowered it, anti-sway bars, front and rear. Racing cam and a special exhaust system that you know people would know for five miles I was coming because I thought it was fair warning, you know. And uh, if you don't like, you know, if you don't like, if you think I'm driving too fast, keep your kids off the sidewalk. That's all I have to say. And uh, and uh, so how many of you know where the Glendale Galleria is? Yes, in Glendale. And so um, there, uh, when you work in retail, you do your time in hell. And so you you work in retail, but you get there early, and the, there was these. Uh, Columns that held up the parking lot, like these columns here, except my, my Z car uh, fit through them with about six, seven inches on either side. Right? Now, I was 20, so that answers a lot of questions. But I would, I would go from the one end to the other and just through them. You know, just to feel that, like, I could have crashed and killed myself, you know, but I didn't. <laughs> Then when I got really, like, I really wanted to feel, like, really get the adrenaline going, because, you know, after a while, you need another, you have to amp up, right? Uh, you'd close your eyes, you know, for like, a, you say, how long can I keep my eyes closed without, you know? That's stupid. I, I was 20. Does, I just answers a lot of questions. can't believe it's been three years. And so the, uh, at any rate. But I also remember, um, because of my uh, previous work, um, that, well, first of all, let's see, how it was uh, several years ago, eight, ten years ago, when my father-in-law died, I got the call, and uh, you know I had to tell Lilia, and there, there was that emotional reaction to it, and processing that whole thing with the family. But 18 hours later, my pager at the time went off because I was on call from the sheriff's station. It was uh, I don't know three or four in the morning, and a young man had been murdered, um, and the parents' family was asking for clergy. So I, I picked up the call and went out to that. So it was about 18 hours apart. Abel was 72, Moises was 22. And I recall thinking, I know that no matter where you are in your life cycle, that it's just too soon. This was expected. He was an older man. He had a number of health issues, respiratory issues, and had a cardiac episode when he died in the hospital. And Moises was a former, you know, he was just a, a gangbanger that was turning his life around. And somebody else felt that he turned around too much and ended it for him. Seven, eight feet in front of his mom's house. And his mom's there. And so because the coroner was backed up, you know, we had the, uh, uh, we had the, the body back thing covering and a little bit of a fence around it. But, you know, it, it, just being in those places and being in rooms where people are actually are passing, I mean, they're not, they're not, you're not arriving when they died. You're arriving and they're still fighting to hang on. And in many cases, uh, family, 
You know, like I've told my kids, my wife, hey, look, when it's my time, do not try to keep me alive. I'm totally fine going. Just don't yell at me. You know, hurry, <laughs> walk towards the light. Personal space. <laughs> Have a mint. And um, so uh, there's that, uh, you can see it happen when someone leaves. You can see it happen when someone leaves. And, and, uh, uh, you know, at times I recall coming back from L.A., somebody, a friend called, family called, hey, my, my nephew is passing away, can you be here? The other clergy person can't, can you help? And made the U-turn, went back, and made it just 45 minutes before the, that young man passed away. And you, again, you could see it happen, the, the color that, that disappears, it's, you know. Now, I'll tell you this, um, as many films as I've seen, when a person passes, there's that struggle, and or sometimes the family tries to keep them alive longer, and... <clears throat> And, and it, it is never elegant, it is never romantic, it is never lovely. And there's a part of me that wants to scream out, this was not what we were meant for. Something about this seems wrong. And I think this is where Solomon was in many, many ways. That, that he understood, I, I'm, I'm going there. This is going to happen to me. And, and I can live a full, you know, what seems to be a meaningful life, but it seems meaningless with the phrase, under the sun. As I've told you before, some of you know that my previous depth obsession with you know, always wearing black and reading the obituaries on a daily basis. I mean, I read the obituaries like a devotional every day. It's like, oh my God, look at this guy. This guy's younger than me. This guy's older than me. You know, this person was a decent person. You know, and and, and, and I would it would cross my mind. Why am I still here? A few years back, when uh, the, one of the first few families asked me to consider pastoring a church, I thought, no. And I, uh, I remember telling them, you know, I wouldn't go to the church that I pastor, so uh, no thanks. There's enough idiots already doing this, they don't need one more. But my wife knew that this meeting that this family wanted to have with me was about that. You know, she's, well, you know, she's connected to God. So she was, uh, she, I came home from the meeting and she goes, oh, what did they ask you? I said, they want to ask me to pastor a church. She goes, oh, what did you say? Well, no, honey. I mean, we're making good money. We have a nice home. We have a nice life. You know, I'm going to Barney's in a few minutes. Why would I want to do that? And as I've said before, I don't mind saying it again. I, I don't mind when my wife's mad at me. I don't understand my relationship if she isn't. Um, but when she loses respect for me, that's different. I feel it differently. So she looked me dead in the eye and she said, then, then what is your life for? Uh, did you just rear up on me? And so... Uh, but I realized that, that as a child thinking about dying and having those near misses in my own life and sort of feeling like somebody was out to get you. You ever have those moments like, you know, like, like what's that film, Final Destination, right? <laughs> ever been on those train platforms where the trains come in and it's not that you feel someone going to push you, you almost want to jump? Or am I the only one that's kind of, okay. <laughs> <laughs> have I taken my meds this morning? And, uh, and, and just feeling that ex- Something about dying was like an interesting conversation to me in my head. I realized it was a conversation that God was having with God. Because when my wife said that, what is your life for? I mean, I'm in my 40s, late 40s at that point. I mean, I'm thinking of gearing down, fishing, you know, I mean, something. Not changing gears altogether and starting something different. And it was an echo, but I heard God saying to my soul, what is your life for? What are you doing with it? What's the direction? What's the momentum? What are you moving towards? What are you moving with? And it seemed to really resonate with my soul that I've often thought that life is just really about momentum. Moving. 
Right? I mean, in fact, listen, it is all momentum. Relationships are momentum, right? They, they move forward, they move forward, they kind of plateau. You have a crisis, you have the DTR. And either it's going to move forward another way or it begins to deteriorate, move back. Marriages, I think this is why some marriages bust up in some ways, is because they hit that plateau where it's not moving. And it's not that it's not moving that makes it bad, and maybe they were just on the wrong path. So they need to back up and go on a different path. So, I mean, relationships, life, everything is about momentum. So if your life is momentum, then what is the road that you're on? What are you headed towards? What are you moving with? What is the energy and the power that's moving you? What is the motivation? And, and the reason why I think most of us probably sense that, even as a believer, and this is why I think this is still true for believers, as opposed maybe to people who perhaps are not wrapping their mind around the idea of Christ as a Savior, is that we're, we're not made just for now. We're, we're made long term. We are people, well, you still go on when this ends at a level of consciousness. In, in chapter 3, verse 11, Solomon tells us that there's eternity built into us. We're wired for long term. And so for a man or a woman to have some sort of sense of meaning or a full life apart from God under the sun, which is that, what that phrase is, a disconnect from God under the sun, they're just not going to have a meaningful full life. But this happens and afflicts even people who call themselves believers. That's one of your identifiers because, see, there's a huge difference between being a believer and a follower. You know, you can be an agreer. I see so many times some of you guys nod your heads. Most of you are shaking your heads. Most of you put your head in your hands, you know. I come to this church, why? Some of you are confessors. You, you, could, you could recurgitate back correct, orthodox, pure doctrine of how the church works and what you believe and you uphold the apostolic creeds of the old and so you are a confessor or an agreer, maybe even a note taker. You're a listener, you download the podcast. But following is different because following is momentum. Following is going down a journey. And so for, for many people that... Um, this sense of eternity and sense of meaninglessness even affects a believer. See, Solomon is a believer. He is not unconscious of the sense that God exists. He just doesn't think God cares or that it matters. And because of this disconnect, I, I understand there's God, <clears throat> but I don't... I'm not moving towards this. I'm just moving down here. So, why would Solomon despair so much, as I pointed out? Because for him, this life was the only life. And, and how, I mean, we, we talked about work last week, right? Which was almost like a, you know, an introduction to death. And uh, so, some of you, <laughs> uh, I feel so dead and soulless when I go to work. I know, I know. Um, that that, that you, you know that even when you get that thing, that person, that car, that education, that diploma, that career, that zip code, that whatever, that it doesn't like, wow, it's like almost like dust and ashes in your mouth. It doesn't seem to have that same impact as you thought it was going to be because we're pinning our hopes on this life being the life that will be abundant life. And it isn't. And then for some cases, for some, I, I know these questions come up um, you know, whether people find out that I, I, uh, I pastor a church or when I was a chaplain before, 
people you know, would generally ask you, so what do you think happens when you die? Wow. If you want to take notes, I'll... You stop breathing, generally, is what the first things that happen to you. I know what they're asking. And, 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 and having that conversation, what happens after you die, is not really that deep or significant. It's safe, actually, because I can, I can put it out there. It's theoretical. I can share with you all the cool, esoteric, arcane, obscure authors that I can you know, explain. And you can share your Jesus thing if you want to, but neither one of us can prove it in the end. You follow? So it's almost a safe conversation. And who wants to have that? So I always ask them, I said, well, what happens if you live? Where, where are you headed? What are you becoming? Who are you becoming? See, for a person that's connected to God, a person who's fully alive, death doesn't harm you. It doesn't change you. This is the way that you, you cheat death. You remove its victory. You take out its fangs. You pass still alive. Death doesn't affect you because you have life before death. See, some folks who, even if you're a student of the scripture, you may believe that the scripture teaches about life after death. Okay, I'm going to say it doesn't, but hear me out first. The scriptures teach that you have to have life before death for life to continue. This is why I'm saying you, you, you bring, you know, you've heard the joke, you know, there's no U-Haul in the funeral procession. Well, maybe the kids for their parents' stuff, but generally, yes, you're right, you don't get to take it with you. But you do take something with you. You take the real you with you. You take, you take your, your record with you. I don't mean your rap sheet, for some of you that'd be reams and reams of paper. But I, but, I mean, you take your record of who you were, your actions, your thought life, your generosities, your acts of kindness to those folks in or out of community. You take your relationships, that what was meaningful. You take the real you with you, the, the character, your soul. And um, so yes, you do continue after you die. But you have to have life before death to have life after death. Let's go to... Um, Let's go to John chapter 1 for just a moment. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Let's, uh, let's unwrap this a little bit further. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Verse 3. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 4. In Him was life, and the life, and that life was the light of men, the light that shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not understand it. You know, this is a, um, one of those, uh, as I told you, one of my favorite biographies of Jesus, the, the, the four books we call the Gospels, because it's such a unique, you know, uh, book in the way that the other three are not and how it's set up and its emphasis on time and everything else. But the one thing that's interesting is, is to just want to, uh, you know, especially if you have a computer software program, just look up the word life in, in John's book. It's, it's amazing how he uses this word. But I think for some of us, we, we're under the impression that, that really the life that we want to live happens after we die. You know, you've been that person where I just, I can't wait. For, you know, I just, uh, once I die, then I'll, then it'll be okay. Well, maybe. That reminds me of a horrible conversation I had with my wife once. Um, we were driving along. We're, we were speaking about each other's passing. 
I'd have been wishful thinking. And the other, uh, so my wife says, yeah, you know, if you die, I just will never marry again. And, you know, I, I thought in my head, oh, well, of, hello, of course you had this. I mean, what's going to, you know, <laughs> what could replace me, you know, a dog. Uh, but at any rate, uh, uh, so I was feeling pretty good about myself. Like, oh, my poor honey, of course, you know, once you, you, you've eaten at Cafe Octavio, nothing else would ever be. <laughs> what else could ever, you know, and, and within a split second, because I, I went off in my head for about hours, you know, I was in. Yes, how marvelous I must be, you know. <laughs> but in a moment of time, she took it all out of me. She said, I just couldn't do this again. And I thought, <laughs> pulled over. Really? It's been that hard? <laughs> you know, she's little, pure evil. <laughs> all, all killer, no filler. <laughs> Okay, at any rate, um, geez, where was I? Oh, yes, life. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm that guy that when I drive on the freeway uh, and I see the sign that says, hey, three miles to the wrong exit, I don't think, I wonder if this is going to take me to the wrong exit. I, I just don't think that. It, when we used to drive from our to Ventura as often as we used to before, and, you know, Ventura, 45 miles, you know, 101 North, I never thought, I wonder if the 101 North takes us to Ventura. I know the sign's there, but I wonder if it does. See, some of you are actually, you're, you're on a journey. You're moving. The, the, the thing that's tragic, though, for some of us, is that you don't know where you're going. Or you're in the wrong impression of where you're headed. And you've never stopped to think and ask, where is this taking me? Who am I becoming? If I have a meaningful life now, I don't worry if I'm going to have a life after I've passed it is about momentum. When John speaks about in him was life, I think sometimes we think, well, you know, it, yeah, that's life after I've died. And then you read the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, and, you know, if you're thoughtful, reflective at any level, you begin to think, well, they really didn't die, right? I mean, you know, they, they didn't really cease to exist. And then there's that first layer of explanation. Well, yes, they were spiritually dead, disconnected from God. But it's worse than that. I mean, I mean that's, that's bad, but the byproduct is, is that then the life that they could have had connected to God is gone. So it affects work. It affects their relationships. It affects creation. It becomes meaningless. And this is what Solomon is unwrapping for us here. You know, it, see, I understand that this is, the, this is the white elephant in every room and every conversation with people who are disconnected from God. What happens when I die? I mean, we even have industries to keep it away from us as far as possible, don't we? Somebody else picks up the body, processes the body, takes care of it, buries it. I don't even really touch it and see it. But that wasn't the case in Solomon's life. And so it's one of those types of um, conversations with people that it's very awkward. We joke about it because it's uncomfortable. In John chapter 10, Jesus spoke about having this, um, he used many metaphors to describe who he was and how he connected with us. And there was this good shepherd metaphor. Then in John 10, 10, he talks about, listen, I, I, I came for you to have life and have an abundant life. Or some of your translations will say a full life. And I think as followers of Jesus, we get the impression like, oh, okay, I step into God, I have life. But there's this place of real, real life. No, he's just trying to point out, look, if in me is life, 
then outside of me is no life or death. So unless you're connected to me and have life, you're operating really in a realm of death and meaninglessness, futility. You know, you might be a very active, alive, intelligent, winsome, compelling person, but you're just waiting to be buried. And and I, I don't know if you are aware of the despair or if you're so busy you haven't really thought about where you're headed and what you're doing and the road you're on. See, Christ, Christ for all of us, if this is true, and I'm, I'm banking that it is, it's, I, I'm not just giving you a pass and forgiving you your sins. I'm not just here to um, make it all feel better for you. I'm here to give you life. I invite you into my plan to restore humanity. I invite you into my world. I call you a friend. And then I invite you to be part of the restoration of everybody's life and humanity's with the life that I give you. But it requires this stepping in moment. Let's go to John 11 for just a moment as we get to gear down to close. John 11. This, um, this family, this brother and these two sisters um, live in a village known as Bethany. It's uh, northern Israel. And if you read the stories of Jesus you know, carefully, you'll see that he spends a lot of time there with this particular family. And this is one of those times, you've heard people say, it seems like God is almost always late. Well, this is one of those times, he was late. It didn't appear he was late. He was late on purpose. Jesus was apparently really close and dialed into this, to this young family, to this family, the brother and the two sisters. And so he hears a word, hey, you know, Lazarus, the guy that you're really, your close, close friend, he's really, really sick and he's dying. Oh, good. I'll wait three or four days before I go over and see him. No, no, you don't understand, he's dying. No, you don't understand. I know he's dying. I'm not going to go right now. I'll wait a few days. You know, okay. So that's, that's the setup. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany was less than two miles away from Jerusalem, just a couple-hour walk. And many Jews had come to Martha and to Mary and to comfort them at the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, and Mary stayed at home. Lord, she said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you ever been to those funerals where you almost feel like the, the, the pastor or the priest is trying to like, cheer you up? He still lives. Or she... Okay, I get that. But not right now for this crowd. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? It, it's, 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 um, it's hard to read that without feeling the emotion of it. I mean, because Martha is grieving the loss of her brother. Maybe there's another economic reality. The, the man of the house is gone. How, you know, what are we going to do to take care of ourselves? There's, no, there's not, you know, assistance for single moms or welfare, government aid. Now what happens? And so Jesus says those kind of things that I just mentioned in a moment ago. Look, if, if you believe in me, you're not really going to die. 
right? Death doesn't have that hold on you. You move through it because you're bringing your life with you. Real life, full life. And so, see, I think when we read this, we read this like he's asking Martha, do you believe this about Lazarus? See, I, I think what you need to hear is that he's asking Martha, do you believe this about you, Martha? I know you're grieving your brother. I get that. But I want you to know that this isn't a place for you to have despair or to feel meaningless. Because if you're believing in me, you will live. I want to take this a step further. For those of us who are sitting here, you know, 2,000 plus years later, this question still echoes through the centuries and comes up to us. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? See, for some of you folks, I know you've had people who are very, very close to you, spouses, family, brothers, sisters, unexpected, old and young, die. And you wonder, does it really make a difference to believe in God if we just die in the end anyways? The story continues. You can almost feel the, the feeble hand of faith trying to hang on when Martha explains to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. The teacher's here. He's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Everybody loves drama, so they wanted to go see it. Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Well, come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And, and some of them said, well, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more being deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take the stone away, he said. And Martha thought, you know, not a good idea. This guy probably smells. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father... I'm, I'm sorry I'm laughing a little bit because I love the way this prayer is going to go. He's going to say, I'm not praying for you, me. I'm, I'm praying so that everybody else can hear me, God. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, <laughs> that they may believe that you sent me. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. These folks need to know. So with a voice, when he had said this, he called out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. I've often wondered if he had not said Lazarus, you know, would everybody have shown up, you know? (laughs) Oh, awkward, sorry, just Lazarus. (laughs) There's a reason why I said Lazarus. I'm just suggesting that could have been it. You cannot have a life of meaning if the meaning you have in your life is just this life because this ends but you don't so let me close with this couple of quick questions where are you headed where are you going what, what are you moving towards 
What are you moving with? And what is moving you, period? Solomon allows us to see that a life that's disconnected from God will, will end in death, and it's sort of final. And those of us who are followers of God take our life with us. Father, I pray this morning that as people are, are processing and thinking about perhaps their own existence and uh, the lives and memories of other people, that you would help us to... Um, wrap ourselves around the life that you do have for us. I pray for people that are tired and uh, that are just discouraged and are wondering if it matters to connect and follow, to, follow you. That you remind them that you are the witness to our life, the great record keeper, the motivator, the encourager, the author and the finisher of our faith. I pray that they would sense your presence uniquely, keenly in a way that encourages and empowers them. For those who have been flippant and been a bit mismanaging their life, I pray that they would understand that it matters, that the decisions count, that every action, every word, every thought has an effect on our soul. And for others who are processing, even if you're there, or if you even care, that they would hear your voice and understand they matter to you that you have a, a plan and a purpose for their life. So help us be people who bring our life with us at the end of our lives. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.